HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2018. This is the 166th episode of the series. Wow. 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 That is a wow. And this show is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry, as my regular listeners know. Today, my guest is a bread baker extraordinaire and an incredible guy. I'm super happy to have him here. But we're going to hold off on the on my long introduction for a second. And first, as I do in every show, we're going to start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to make things your own. Develop your own sense of style and discover what works best for you. Sure, when you are trying something new, it's good to follow instructions and understand the process first before getting creative. But once you have the technique and why down, it's okay to play. So build a good foundation and then feel free to be you and confident in creating your own signature style. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest here in the studio. It is Jim Leahy. He is an award-winning baker and owner of Sullivan Street Bakery, with locations in New York City and Miami, and also of Co Restaurant in New York City. Jim studied sculpture before learning art, the art of bread baking in Italy. His innovative no-need bread recipe ignited a worldwide home baking revolution when it was first published by Mark Bittman in the New York Times in 2006. Jim has written several books, most recently the Sullivan Street Bakery Cookbook, which he co-wrote with his wife Maya Joseph. 
And Jim was the first recipient of the James Beard Foundation's Award for Outstanding Baker in 2015, and then recognized again in 2016 by the Beard Foundation as who's who of food and beverage in America. And I could go on and on, but that's that's quite a quite a lot there in itself. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me on, Sherry. Well, thank you for coming. It's a treat to be here. I'm I'm really nervous for some reason. Are you? I'm yeah. No, you're I, not. I, I feel like I'm like on like live TV or something. You're on live radio. I, I know, but like I, I, I just have like this nervousness about me today, which normally I don't have. No, you're. I've seen you. I've seen you live, and you're <laughs> you're 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 awesome. I should be the be one the a little nervous because so my listeners know I'm 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 crossing my 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 activities, I guess, with you. you Full disclosure, oh, that's we true. work together. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I work with Jim on his PR. So, yeah, I guess I sh- I'm the one who's Conflict, a little nervous. Conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah. Conflict of interest, maybe. I, I want to make sure the show comes out fantastic and you're happy and I'm happy. And maybe that's why I'm Listeners nervous. are happy. So, I think we should just be us and, okay. and it's going to go well. How about that? Okay. <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Okay. So I always start out with my guess of, of going back to how they got into the industry and their background. So uh, going back to Italy and when you found this passion and love of bread, like, can we can we go back there for a minute? Mm, I'm closing my eyes. I'm imagining the 98-degree day in July of 1987 and... And I'm walking with a group of students, and we're walking from our dormitory out, out off of the Via Aurelia, and we're walking, I guess, on the Via Aurelia to some little corner fruit vendor. Okay. And I just remember the fruit vendor handing me this tomato, and I couldn't at the time speak maybe maybe five words of Italian, and he said in Italian. Take this, try it, eat it. It wasn't it wasn't a religious type thing. But okay. He said, "Try this out, young young man. Try this out." And I and I'm like, "But it's a tomato. I have to like cook it or cut it." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Eat the like, you know." Mm. He kind of made gestured, biting into the fruit, and I bit into it, and that was for me probably the most I don't know significant food experience that I had had um, in my entire life and it was kind of stupid because it was just a tomato from a a small farmer on a like a kind of dusty commercial street in Italy. Yeah. But that tomato kind of was was a contradiction to everything that I had ever thought a tomato was. It was juicy and flavorful and tart and sweet. Uh the skin wasn't like you know, like armor, it was just delicate. And, uh, and that was like the beginning of uh, a love affair that I was to have with food and and, in part mostly Italian food, because that's, that's the, the, the bug that bit me first. And then how did, I mean, the bread component of, of that time you were in Italy come to play? Well, I, you know, while I was in Italy, there was this popular chocolate spread that was just everywhere called Nutella. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's It's kind of become a big company now. (laughs) And, uh, but back then it was still kind of a regional European, mostly European, mostly Italian thing. And um, I ended up, um, you know, 
at, like that was like you know afternoon snack at the dormitory with all the students on like kind of like you know thick crusty bread and so when I came back to America after being in Italy my very first time for about two and a half months I um excuse me excuse me I've got a belt um um <laughs> but you said be yourself so be yourself. um so I ended up having um, uh, this kind of need to have that bread because Wonder Bread just didn't do it mm-hmm. with Nutella. And I came back and um, started, I was living at the time in, in Stony Brook or uh, Port Jefferson, I think, or Stony Setauket or something like that out in Long Island because I was going to school out in Stony Brook University. And uh, I just started Went to the local, you know, went to Barnes and Noble on Fifth Avenue because uh, I mean that's what you did. You had to buy books in Manhattan and bring them into out to where you were living. And I bought this cookbook uh, and started practicing bread baking from it, just to make a bread that was that would go well with the Nutella. Wow! See, yeah. I did not know it started with a tomato and then Nutella. Yeah, I've learned so much. Yeah, I, I mean, it's well. I mean, it was like it wasn't just the tomato. I mean, there were yeah. so many food experiences right. in that one summer that were all novel. And you know how when you're in your 20s, it's like everything is like seems amazing, you know, because especially if it's new, um, especially if it's novel, you just, you know. Yeah. So what was it like opening Sullivan Street Bakery back in 1994? I mean. Well, um, you know, the Soho was a very quiet, somewhat rundown area because the art market in 1989, stock market had crashed in 1989. And by 1991, things were pretty much winding down. So I think there were a lot of art galleries still around by 91, but by 94, the art industry had sort of bottomed out. I think at one point in time, I was an art student, so at one point in time, there were I remember counting like 460 or 470 independently run art galleries just in Soho. Yeah. So you could spend, you know, weeks looking at, you know, emerging artists, existing artists, dead artists, unborn artists, any kinds of artists, bullshit artists. And uh, and then within a three-year period, there were like 100 galleries left over. So it was like a real shift. And that's kind of created the... Um, the footprint, if you will, for Soho's eventual kind of shopping mall, you know, kind of deluxe, fancy shopping mall that it is today, that that a lot of the um, the gallery, art galleries became, you know, shoe stores or, right. or you know, J. Crews or whatever. Um, and yet, you know, now it's going through yet another, another kind of transformation yeah. because, you know, n- you know, brands don't need, don't need retail footprint right. anymore. And, you know, I think probably Soho in like another five years will probably be empty again. So were you specifically looking in Soho or did, N- did no, the I, space I had, find you? Well, I had at that point partnered with a, um, a restaurateur who I had, you know, the, the story goes as I um, tried to open up. I ended up working one year, 37 jobs. Thir- job 36 was working for Joe Allen. Uh, oh, for, right. No, for right. Amy Amy's bread. Okay. Back in ninety two, I believe. Thirty seven in one year. Yeah, thirty seven. So job thirty. Beat me. Yeah, 
Job 36 was, really? What's your record? I don't, I, I, no, I'm not even close to that in one year, but I had a lot of jobs in my in my 20s. I yeah. don't know, but maybe maybe I, like I, a dozen. It was manic, though, because it was all in one year. So yeah, was, no, was, that's, I, you're, you're. And, and yeah. at the time, I was living on North, 70 North 8th Street, you know, when it was just completely run, mm-hmm. run down. There was nothing there. And so you, so Amy's Bread. So I worked at Amy's Bread. And then after Amy's Bread, I ended up working at Joe Allen's restaurant, mm-hmm. but not Joe Allen proper, the his Italian restaurant, Orso. And uh, eventually Joe became, um, you know, I ended up working there, and then he decided, or his family or chefs, decided to send me um, toward the end of my engagement with them, which was about three, about four months. They sent me down to Florida to see whether, Miami of all places, to see whether I could bake the bread that I was making in the restaurant down there. Oh, okay. This would have been 92, right. fall of 92, winter of 92. And um, and it, it was in that experience of going to Miami that I had ultimately discovered the no-need method because the, the water in, in Florida at that time in Miami, the, the water that you get from the tap, um, wasn't treated like it is today, and it had high levels of magnesium sulfate or magnesium phosphates, magnesium sulfates or sulfates of magnesium. And these um, 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 compounds cause act as a catalyst for mm-hmm. for the for certain things chemically in the dough. So if you tried to mix the dough, it would basically burn out and fall apart, which is why. Like back then, everyone would say, oh, you can't make good bread or bagels or pizza in Florida. It all sucks. They still do. Because of the water. I mean. Well, that's, that, that's holdover, <laughs> but that's not true anymore. I mean, the I know, water, I'm just saying they still do. Yeah. <clears throat> the water is, is totally mm-hmm. different. And it's the same thing here in New York. I mean, back then, yeah. uh, our, our water was very different than it is today. I mean, uh, municipalities make decisions on things like drinking water without checking in with it. Anyway, Anyways, another subject. Okay. So I ended up, Figuring out that I couldn't need dough in Florida, and I ended up making these breads. And I taught a couple people when I was down there at the time, and um, and just kind of you know it was just something I, I didn't at that point explore the actual science of, as to why it was happening. But I, I, I ended up figuring out about a year and a half later because I was really curious to know why Floridian water had this effect on dough and why you couldn't need it. Wow. Um, so. And so, and then I kind of just kept it there in the back of my head as a kind of a another way of making dough. Because I've also come to this conclusion that with bread making, and this is part of the problems with bread making, part of the, the problem is that it's so malleable, fungible, changeable, mutable. I mean, every, every, every you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, synonym or not, uh, 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 word that you could possibly use to describe like you, there's a thousand recipes to make the same bread a million if you wanted to and and you could get the same tangible physical end results but approach it from a completely different way and but, i and i think that that like oh, i'm sorry oh no no go ahead and i mean this is one of the things i think that attracted me to the process of baking that you know it was like my little lab and from you know my garage, the garage I was living at in, in on North 8th Street, you know, 
from like 10 p.m. in the evening when I would conduct my work until four in the morning when I would conclude, um, it was like I could, I, could, I could carry out an experiment from start to finish and see what the end results were. And then I had all this left collateral, which was leftover bread, which I could give away to my neighbors, my friends, my girlfriend at the time, you know, and it was kind of cool. So cool. And so cool that, I mean, you answered the question I really wanted to know was how did this no need method come about? And so (laughs) it it was like in the back of your mind and then years later you decided to start implementing it. I mean, it... Well, it also was also easier for me, you know, as, as an activity. At that point, it was more like a hobby, something I did for fun. And then jobs were something I did to support my fantasy about becoming a visual or, or a conceptual artist. Um, but the bread baking was kind of like a process that kind of kept me from like losing my shit over, you know, such uh, uh, uncertainty and instability in my life. Because having 36 or 37 yeah. jobs in the course of the year is, is by definition instability. You know, it's sort of like being yeah, being well. elected to office and having like you know your cabinet members and chiefs of security and all this other shit drop off with an you know. So by 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 definition, it was it was completely uh, and uh, and it was just something I enjoyed doing. It was also for me, it was easier for me to to sell someone a loaf of bread. They didn't have to read postmodernist philosophy or or what know the latest trend right. in art form or, you know, uh, you know, they didn't need all this sort of fucking intellectual fucking baggage to get a good loaf of bread. It's a, it's a good loaf of bread. Give me, give me your money, your bread money. And, and for me, it, it, it this whole, I mean, it, it, I had this occasion while living on North 8th Street of doing a street fair on, on a couple, for a couple of weeks in a row. Um, weekends in a row on on Houston Street. It was like the initial. Mm-hmm. You know that there's a little street market on. They Houston. still do that. I was there. I mean, it's it's closed and. Yeah, but I was there. But yeah. I was there the first season it okay. opened. The I was like part of the original lineup, and I just remembered on Sullivan Street, basically near the corner, these little old Italian ladies that you know, mostly um, Neapolitan, because the neighborhood was mostly Neapolitan, buying the bread from me. And just this honest, no-nonsense exchange of, here's the bread, you like the bread, I give you a sample, you like it, you buy it, you give me money, and it was like, cool. And and I think that was the the light that went on, uh, or, you know, that kind of made me decide that I wasn't going to... Do anything else? Try, try to work. I could try to work more for, jobs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I came to the conclusion that I was also by job thirty-five. Yeah, no, not I, thirty-six. You're but, tired. Well, I, I yeah, <laughs> emotionally and mentally. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, but, good. Yeah. Yeah, but I also came to the conclusion that I was unemployable. <laughs> so work for yourself. Yeah. That's worked out. Yeah. And on that note, let's take a little break. Okay. Okay, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. <laughs> Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. And I'm and I'm the living beep, beatbox. So. That's the living beatbox, Jim Leahy, otherwise known as Bread Baker Extraordinaire, Bread Master, owner of Sullivan Street Bakery. Me, but never call me a master baker. Yeah, why? Just, I guess I know has, why. It just yeah. sounds like Yeah, horrible. it could sound like something else. Chronic, I get that. Like, like chronic master baker <laughs> or something. I won't call, call me, you that. I, I call prefer, you Jim. Call me a bread chef. Bread chef. I like that. I, I like that. It's more interesting. Okay. Well, bread chef. Fermentologist. Did you think this, your no need recipe would become the sensation it is today? I mean, it's, you're known around the world for this recipe. And before you answer that, I went out and got a cast iron lodge pot so I could make your bread a few weeks out. ago. And it your recipe works, just uh-huh. so you know, okay, listeners. Good. It still works. I made bread for the first time, and it, it was it was it was amazing. I made bread, and and uh, I want to. I'm ready to dive into your book and try a, a new new recipe. So well, awesome. But yeah, so back to the question: Did you know it would be such a such a change in in the world, really, in in no, bread making? You know, it's funny. I I I, I was just basically looking at survival. When I when I pitched or sold the 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 recipe to a bunch of different kind of food news outlets and and no one really wanted to publish it, you know. I mean, uh, I approached uh, who was it at the time, uh, Ruth Reichel and Gourmet, Gourmet mm-hmm. and I I really I worked massaged the entire editorial board and gave them free classes and they were all won over, but but Ruth herself just didn't at the time at the time think that um, that it was that significant or interesting. Um, well, well, I was at a talk that she did with you, which was awesome, and she did say she it doesn't, was, she, she can never, it was a she can big, ne- big regret. Well, what's really weird is that she keeps apologizing and, in, yeah. in a sense, and, I, and it's like, it's okay. It's yeah, totally cool. It I is mean, okay. I mean, I loved that magazine. I thought it was, mm-hmm. I, I liked also the direction she had started taking it in, which is really more about sociology or society and food not just you know like like do you understand when you go to a deli and you get a tomato uh, one of those insipid tomatoes or a supermarket like the the conditions under which the farmers you know the farmers are treated and it would make you look differently at at the stuff that we do you know we take for granted so i I thought that that was kind of cool um but then um Shopped it to Dana Cowan of um, Food, uh, and, Food wine. and Wine, and she it just didn't suit 
you know, the lifestyle magazine that she kind of saw as, you know. But she, she suggested brilliantly, said, why don't you give Mark Bittman a call? Oh, and so I just, I just shot him an email, at, which like his, the famous email saying, mm-hmm. I can teach you. It was like, you know, like the uh, snake oil salesman. I'll teach you how to make a loaf of bread better than da 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 And even a four-year-old could do it. And that was enough to kind of get him interested. And then, of course, yeah. he came in. I showed him how to do it. He did it himself. Just vis-a-vis instruction, just just from a verbal instruction, and he was so blown away by it that he published the recipe, and then it yeah. kind of became at the dawn of the of the food blog. At the dawn of the food blog, it became viral. But I didn't like uh, the person who I was, shy, maladjusted, etc. I didn't <laughs> I didn't capitalize on it and turn it into mine and make it into this thing that I coveted or protected. So, it, I, you know, I really kind of just let it go out and become its own thing, which is kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Everyone cool. makes my bread or, or, or the no-need method uh, in some form or fashion. And, you know, in the end, it becomes theirs. In turn, it becomes their personal experience with this in- miracle of Bread baking, which is something that humans have been doing in a form or format that we know for probably close to 10,000 years, but has its origins, you know, even, even, even further back. You know, it's a very early form of ritualized food making, food practice, and it, and it, and it also kind of coincides with the birth of language um, and, and also with, you know, sedentary, yeah. you know, uh, civilizations that were, were doing more agricultural, less hunter and gathering type of uh, things. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> it is kind of Fire, cool. fire, wood, <laughs> fire, ashes, burn, so wheat. I have so many questions for you. I, yeah. I, and I'm not going to, I don't even know. Let's talk a little bit about the projects you have going on right now. Cause you, you have, you have Sullivan street bakery. You have a pop-up right now in house kitchen and across the street, you're yes, doing so some we, renovations. Yes. We're doing renovations at the bakery uptown in house kitchen, and we should be open sometime between February 20th and March 15th. We're shooting for the Ides of March ah. uh, for the opening. And if we can get open by the Ides of March on the Ides of March, which would be so cool. I think we'll hand out little uh, laurel laurel leaf kind of wreaths for people's okay. heads. Wow! So we can be very we can be all Roman. I'll even like get a toga and wear a toga, <laughs> just in honor of 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 the fifteenth of March. Um, I'm envisioning a press but I'm not going to bake. But I'm not going <laughs> to bake in a toga. I okay. just I just I just okay. That. So you have that. You also opened recently down in Miami. Wholesale, yeah, going to be retail maybe sometime this summer or something. I, I, I don't think know. I think by the fall. I okay. think by October um, because we're building a brand new building to house the bakery in uh, the uh, retail space. But the wholesale bakery is up and running, and uh, we're kind of putting our roots down in, in Miami. In, in Miami, and mm-hmm. it's a wonderful. It's really nice after all these years to come back there, and I've been traveling there, and I've watched the food community. Blossom, um, it does, you know. I mean, yes, 
lots of name brand chefs and restaurant groups go down there and then they open and then they close and then they open in another iteration and then they close, usually on the beach. But I think, you know, but but there is now like a, a real kind of Miami, Miami sensibility food scene that's its own thing. It's not quite New York's. Yeah, and no, it's, it's true. It's, it's got hometown. Its, yeah. It's got its little Latino influences and it's yeah. got its, you know. And you're in Little Haiti, which is Caribbean. everyone's saying is up and coming area, but a little above the design district. And uh, yeah, no, I'm excited for that. And then just you have also Co or company, company restaurant, restaurant here yes. and making pizzas and wood fired dishes. Wood-fired and it's fantastic. Dish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love Co. Yeah. I heart Co. I heart co. Okay, so since we're short on time, let's go to I, so. And I also, since I wasn't sure at first the episode you were going to come on, and so I have two questions from two past episodes okay. from previous guests, and okay. I'm going to ask you both of them. Okay. So on episode 162, I had on Miley Carpenter. She's the editor in chief of Food Network magazine. She's a big fan, and she wants to know: pretending that one of your outlets is closed, such as Co is closed, and you want to order pizza. Who do you call? Shit. I'm sorry. Shit? I did not no, know no, no. that name no, of No, I would pizzeria. say if I were just to get like, <laughs> to get individ- an individual pie or to, I, you know, I, I don't, it's funny, I don't, I'll make pizza at home. I'm so kind of okay. used to, to, to this lifestyle of like, I make my own pizza. But I like, you know, of all the slice joints in mm-hmm. Manhattan, like if I needed a pizza pie. Because I, you know, have three children, so the individual pies don't work that well with the kids. Um, I would go, I would go with um, Joe's. On, Joe's slice. Joe's on the corner of Car- uh, the, of of yes of Carmine in West Village. In the West Village, I think it's the ultimate, the ultimate slice. It's still like yeah, I, I it's 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 a, a, it's solid, a classic. It yeah. is a solid slice. Yeah. A good, good, good um, answer. But, but in terms of like, you know, it's like you make your own. Make my own. <laughs> Sorry, that's it's all good. Okay, on episode one sixty five, I had on John DeLucy. He's a chef owner now of Empire Diner and Bedford and Co. And he wants to know, would you like to have coffee? I would love to. <laughs> Tell John, I would love to. Okay. He's, he's he's historic. He's yeah, he, OG. Well, he said he is, and he's like he said he he, he loves you. He loves you. He he feels he knows you because he has your books and he makes your Aww. bread and and but he he I says he's I does, you guys don't, don't know each other. So he wants to have coffee. I don't know anyone in the restaurant industry anymore. It's like it's grown so oh, fast. That's not true. Well, I mean, we're all so busy just dealing with our yeah. own lives that it's like you know. It, it's really difficult, but yeah, we'd right. love to hang with you. You could do that, and yeah, Empire Diner is pretty close to to Co. and mm-hmm. your Chelsea yeah. Sullivan Street Bakery too. So, yeah. okay, great. So I did a little Got that, that. chef matchmaking on the show. Matchmaker, matchmaker, <laughs> make me a match. And we're gonna sing into a break and uh, come back and do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is only Industry and Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's time for my speed round game, Jim Leahy. Okay. Is this like word association? It's a quick, it's a, it's a, like a, I guess a quick fire. It's a chocolate or vanilla type of, you pick your preference. Chocolate. Chocolate. Me too. So that's, that was the test. (laughs) Now we got, now we got 10 more. Okay. You ready? All right. Eat in or eat out? In. Wine, beer. Wine. Cocktail or mocktail? Wine. Skip. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? This is a tough one. Um, All-inclusive. Okay. Teaching a hands-on bread class or writing a bread book? Teaching a hands-on bread class. Oh, yeah. I I could have guessed you would have gone with that one, but I don't know. You're good at writing books, too. Contact with the people. (laughs) This is is just for whatever. Hamilton Day or any other national holiday? Um, All the national holidays that honor people that have made our our country wonderful. And I think next year, instead of Hamilton Day, we're going to have our sale on MLK Day. Okay. Because I think MLK Day was like totally underrepresented, and no one seemed to give a shit about Hamilton's birthday last year, <laughs> this year. So, but no, I, but I'd I, say but it I was underrepresented too, yeah, except for think, you. But I think, but yeah. I think we need to like we okay. need to honor we need to honor uh, like I think there are it, it, either that or eliminate all national holidays and just you know it's turn this into like a capitalist you know kind yeah. of state. I don't know. Okay. I mean, you know, we you know we need to start like recognizing like. Things that that people have done that that were real sacrifices that kind of give us the, the good things that we have today, and of them, I think one of the most important are, are our civil liberties and our civil rights. Not just yeah. me, because I'm, I'm I'm I feel horrifically privileged, but but uh, people that are not represented, you know, especially in our yeah, I hear you all all mostly white male Congress. Yeah. It's kind of, okay, yeah. we're not going to yeah. do po- let's not do yeah, politics. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah, a little, little but yeah. I guess I asked for it with my question. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Get what you deserve. It's all. Oh. Po- it's all political. <laughs> it's all political. Life is politics. Okay, two, two, two more fairly easy ones: cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? <sighs> you can't like say Bronx. Just kidding. Uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Sorry, I, um, I, yeah, I guess Manhattan, I'm not being fair. No, I gotta uh, listen. I gotta. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I gotta. I mean, Brooklyn's way cooler than Manhattan, but I'm gonna go Manhattan because Brooklyn's too cool. Okay, good, good, good reasoning. <laughs> and that is the game. Oh, the hell I do? What's my score? Well, my my dad keeps score, and he has his own scoring system. But I should get an email later today with a score. I'm serious about that. I'm sure he's he's, like, he's blushing think, right I, now that I'm talking think, about him again. I, I think the Bronx is like probably the last the last uh, borough. 
Okay. Last borough standing that's like represents what yeah. what New York. I should I should have them all in there. I should have Staten Island, Queens. I don't know. Maybe this I'll yeah, change Island, the game. Yeah. But no one wants Staten but Island. But I'm always yeah. And Staten Island really technically is part of Jersey. <laughs> it looks like New Jersey. It's right. It's so close to New Jersey. You know, it smells like New Jersey. Sorry, Staten Island. All right, that's not okay. And, and this, actually, by the way, I have to just as a, as, a, mm-hmm. as a nod to Staten Island. My family. Originally came from Staten. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, not originally. Originally, they're originally right, from right. somewhere from Central Europe and 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 Ireland, supposedly. Okay. But they did live in Staten Island in the 1850s. Good to know. I know. Okay, let's Staten. talk w- about one industry news piece that was, was big news in our industry. So that's why I brought on the subject is okay. the James Beard Foundation has named a new executive. Chief Executive Florence Fabricant wrote about it in the New York Times. So, um, so people, Susan Ungaro, who was the for eleven years the president of James Beard Foundation, she um, she had resigned in December. So, they just announced that Claire Reichenbach is the new Chief Executive. There, there's a new title, not President, Chief Executive, and. Um, She's not someone from the food world. She is the founder of CJJR Consulting in New York uh, and has represented clients such as New York Public Radio and Samsung. And uh, it's a big uh, it's a big honor and big uh, exciting to see what sh- how she's going to lead the organization. So any any thoughts on that? You know, I, I'm not familiar with her 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 work and her professional life previous, but I'm sure that, you know, knowing how um, thoughtful, um, you know, both Susan and, and the, 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 the Beards yeah. are, that they probably made a really good decision. Yeah. I, and, uh, you know, just, you know, the foundation's really cool, I think. It's, you know, it's, it's trying to find its... You know, the, the, the food world, the restaurant world is changing so rapidly, it's really trying to sort of like find that relationship with with us professionals um, to help yeah. us guide us through what all these changes to some degree and and, and be that kind of professional support uh, for for people in the industry I mean really at the end of the day the, the, the foundation kind of does provide lots of you know uh, you know uh, boot camps uh, seminars uh, uh, think tanks for 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 industry people to sort of like try to problem solve um, the many yeah. problems that face us today. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I think it said it was a unanimous decision for or for in the selection process of picking her. And yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Well, I mean, non- she's got the non for profit uh, background, yeah. which is yeah. Nice. says that she she expects to build on marketing opportunities with other organizations and com- commercial brands. So. Stay tuned to see what happens with James Beard and uh, stay with us. We're going to take one more break and then I'm going to do my solo dining experience and we have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
on Heritage Radio Network. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> All is good. So I have. it's time for my solo dining experience. I have to uh, give a little apology and correction from my, my last week's show uh, on my solo dining experience. I talked about going to Shoji at 69 Leonard Street. I realized I had said the chef's name was Derek Wilson, and it's Derek Wilcox, and I apologize. And sorry, Derek. Yes, sorry, Derek. Your meal was fantastic, and uh, I hope to come back there sometime soon. So now it's time for my silly dining experience this week, and it is at Westbourne. Here's the rundown. The location, 137 Sullivan Street, Soho, New York City. The concept, a nostalgic nod to the irreverent spirit of 1960s Los Angeles, committed to neighborhood hospitality and giving back to the community. The owner, LA native, Camila Marcus. So why did I go? Because I know Camila, and I knew she was creating a special restaurant. My experience. I went in for a late lunch. It was still pretty busy at the time uh, from the the traditional, I guess, one o'clock lunch crowd. It was about 2.15 when I went in. I spotted Camila and uh, I ordered, you, the ordering is at the chef's counter, not a chef's counter, but at the counter. And uh, then they bring your food and drink out to you. And there's also a self-service area in the back where you can pick up water and utensils. So I did all that and I took a nice seat on the comfy uh, banquette. So what did I get? To drink, I had West Bucha, which is celery soda with kombucha. It's delicious. And I also, to eat, had Sunset Grains, which had wild hive grains, almond butter, mataki mushrooms, kale, chili oil, and I added an egg. My take, everything was delicious. It was a great combination, and I'd say it's a, it was a healthy, delicious lunch. Com uh, the ambiance. It's a cozy cafe with a sustainable design that includes reclaimed wood, custom furniture, and nostalgic LA art. And it's uh, pretty. It has light from the windows, and there's communal tables, and even the bathroom is really lovely. It's perfect for meeting friends for a healthy and hearty veggie meal because I think I missed mentioning this. This is an all-day cafe, and it's vegetable-focused. Interesting tidbit. Camila, who is also the co-founder of Tech Table... She's partnered with Robin Hood Foundation and is giving 1% of every purchase to benefit her Soho neighbor, The Door, which provides free youth development services, including hospitality job training, which she's then hiring employees. Personal fun fact, I happened to go back last week again to Westbourne, and I met my friends of the Durst Hospitality Group in the morning for breakfast, and we had coffee, and I had their coconut chia pudding bowl and that was delicious as well so the cost of my lunch was $29.40 and that's including tax and gratuity would I go back yes and the website is westborn.com and that's w-e-s-t-b-o-u-r-n-e ta-da I realized this was um, on Sullivan Street yeah it's like it's almost the, like that, I planned that on purpose but was that the place that used to be called <laughs> Navy Yes. Okay. Totally would not recognize do, Navy. It, like she, it, it was gutted and, and completely and, redone. And do you remember when it was Jean Claude? 
Maybe sort of love a little bit, but I don't I'm think date, I. I'm I don't dating. think I. I ever dined there. I'm dating myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been so many things. Over. Yeah, Navy, Navy. I don't. Yeah, it's 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 a really nice space, and it's it's um yeah it's worth checking out. A lot, a lot of people have been fed out of that little location, of yeah. after all these yeah. after all it's these tough, decades. Tough business. It is a brutal business. <laughs> well. We, we could spend a whole other show talking about it's, that, but it's brutal and beautiful. It's brutiful. Brutiful. Time for the final question. Okay. Next week, my guest is Richard Blaze. He is a celebrity chef known for his win on Bravo's Top Chef All Stars. He is a chef partner of Juniper and Ivy Restaurant and Crack Shack, both in San Diego, and he has a second cookbook out called So Good. So good. So good. So good. What would you like to ask, Richard? Richard, were you <laughs> born with that Tintin-style haircut, or was that something you picked up along the way? Okay. Because he like looks like like you know Tintin incarnate. Like you know, if Tintin had grown up, you know what I mean. Uh, I know the his little, haircut. He's I, got yeah. The little, the I'm wondering if it was a Top Chef haircut. You never know. You I mean, know. I'm, I'm jealous because I don't. I can't. Like do shit like that, so I gotta. Well, you've you've got. I've got. I've got. I've got the razor going. That's yeah, about it. Yeah, it's 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 a good look, and that's the show. That went so fast, right? It was, it was like a blink of the eye. Yes, thank you, thank, thank you, thank you for thank coming you on the show. So much for having me on. It's I'm not nervous anymore. But You're not. I'm no. not either. Well, we're done, but um, yeah. I wish we had had more time, but I'm as. As you know, or people know, I mean, you're you're incredible. You're and everything you've done, and all of everything you do, and your restaurants and you know, bread baking sensation. It's Thank like you. it's Thank very well, we admirable. Hope, well, we hope when the store is opened up after our mm-hmm. Ides of March celebration, um, March Madness, March uh, Madness, we are hopeful that um, uh, we'll even start doing classes back at the bakery as well, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of space there, too. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be, yes, Mm -hmm. significantly bigger. Oh, cool. Something to look forward to. Thank you so much. Thank you. So my guest today has been Jim Leahy. He's a James Beard Award-winning baker and owner of Sullivan Street Bakery and Co-Restaurant. His websites are sullivanstreetbakery.com and co-pan.com. And co is spelled with this, like, it stands for company, so it's with a C, C C-O. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Leahy SSB. But you know, I never used Twitter, even though I, I'm. I, but you could try that. But you could also try. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Oh, the same as Le- on Instagram. Jim, Jim Leahy SSB. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, Jim Leahy. Yeah, SSB. I'm on Twitter though. I see you I'm, have an I'm account just, there. I'm, yeah, but the problem is, is if I were to go on Twitter, I might be tempted to like make running commentary about everything that's going on. Yeah, it's it's gone very whereas political with, over with there. Like, yeah, well, Stay on with, Instagram. It's yeah, happy it's, food. It's just stupid. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like it's, yeah. Okay, so is on Instagram is accounts, also Sullivan Street Bakery and Co. Restaurant. You can find me on both. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org and we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks again to Jim. Thanks to Jim's fabulous assistant, Peter, who yes, helped, helped love, with this. We love Peter. We love Peter. 
And thanks. We also love my fabulous engineer, Vitor. Yes. Vitor. We love Vitor. You love, we're lots of love I today. Heart, I heart Vitor. <laughs> I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. And, and thank you for being part of all the industry. Thank you so much for having me on, Sherry. Now we can do the beatbox again, right? Okay, ready? Go. I'm not beatboxing very well. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.